Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. And we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Hey, let's give it up for our kids, Pastor Jackson, taking the kids upstairs. What a gift, what a gift, what a gift to see the kids. What a gift to see all of you back in church. By the way, those who are here early this morning for Bible study at 9 a.m., way to, way to bring the sun up with you. That was great. Yeah, let's celebrate those who made it for Bible study this morning. Yeah, yeah. And we, we do have in-person Bible study on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. You're welcome to join us. Courtney, go ahead, wave real high. Courtney, he's the one who leads that Bible study. That's Courtney way back there. Yeah, 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 what a gift. They've actually been continuing to meet all the way through the entire pandemic time. They were meeting, they were holding that 9 o'clock hour, meeting during that time, and now they're able to be with us for worship um, right after Bible study happens at 9 a.m. So we're super excited to be back at 1030, and, and I want to just uh, say to all of you, um, uh, well done, well done. There was no one who missed the memo and showed up at 9 thinking it was time for church. Way to go, way to go! Like that, that uh, you know, like it's uh, that's a, that's a feat all in all in in what do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, all in itself, that's a feat. That's what I'm trying to say. So way to go! Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Ray Garcia. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I just want to officially welcome you. I'm glad you're with us today. And um, after service, we have a time of fellowship each week, and during that time, there's some food that happens right out here in the welcome center. We love for you to hang around. Um, even if you can't hang around, make sure you grab something on the way out. So when service is over, head out those doors, walk through the Welcome Center, grab something on the way out. Um, but if you can, stay and hang with us. We'd love to. And uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit. And for those, especially those who haven't seen in a while, it is so good to see you back. So hang around for a while and spend some time with us. This morning, we're going to enter into a new sermon series called Neighborly. And uh, you're going to need your Bible. And uh, you're going to need to be in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to let you in on a secret. We're going to be in this same passage for the next four weeks. So if you get used to finding this passage, you'll be at the right place at the right time for the next four weeks. We're going to sit here in this passage for four weeks. And so uh, join, join us there in Luke chapter 10. While you're turning there and while we're waiting for you to turn there, we'll just, um, when you get there, just declare you're there by saying amen so we'll know we're ready. All right. There's a couple of you. I'll wait for a couple more. I know some people are still turning. I can hear the pages. And those who are online with us following along, I'd encourage you to, to let Pastor Ricky know that you're there. Say amen online. Let him know that you're there and you're, you're following along, and he'll make sure he walks you right through this passage. So we're in Luke chapter 10 in the 25th verse. Amen? All right, here's what it says. On one occasion, I'm sorry, my mic is going in and out. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Let's pause there for one second. We share, I shared this last night at Wissahickon when we met. But uh, have you ever thought about what it would be like to test somebody who is your superior? Just like somebody who's like remarkably better than you at something? Like to challenge somebody? Maybe when you were a kid and you thought, you know, like, I'm going to challenge the top chess player to see if I can, can outduel them or... Or, or maybe you were on the badminton team and you thought you were going to go up to the front line or, or whatever it was. You just thought you could do, like, extremely better. We understand how this works out, right? 
I mean, you get this. Come on, think about it for a second at least, right? You're at whatever skill level you are and whatever, whatever game you're playing or whatever um, competition you're in, and you're going to challenge somebody who is much better than you at that. How's that going to work out? Thumbs up, thumbs middle, thumbs down. Come on, where are we at? Where are we at? Yeah, thumbs down, right? right? So, so I, I just learned this story. Isaiah thinks he's got a shot. He's going middle. He's going middle of the road. I just learned this story about, um, about a famous NBA player. I won't tell you his name. The year was 1997, 1997, which, by the way, was probably one of the better years of life. I graduated high school that year. It's kind of, yeah, special to me. But anyway, 1997, there was this basketball player in the NBA. Uh, many would declare that he was and still is the greatest of all time. You could argue about that with somebody who cares later. But uh, he was playing uh, for his, for his t- he played for the Chicago Bulls. Right, you guys can picture who he is, right? And so he was playing against, at that time, the Washington Bullets. That was their name. Kind of, a fun, kind of, well, not funny, but kind of a weird name to have, right? So the Washington Bullets were playing against the Chicago Bulls, and they were playing a back-to-back. They don't do this anymore, but they were playing the first game in Chicago, and the next night they were coming back to Washington to play the second game. Well, the Washington Bullets had a rookie who decided before the game that he was going to challenge number 23 for the Bulls. And so he went up to number 23 for the Bulls, and he said to him before the game, he said, I just want to let you know I'm going to stop you tonight. Number 23 for the Bulls went on to score 24 points that game, and they won, though it was a pretty close game. After the game, this young man for for the Washington Bullets was was, uh, celebrating how well he did against Mr. Jordan in, uh, in, in the game. And the word got back to number 23, and Michael said he was, he was, he was, he was, stri- he was stricken by the fact that this rookie would, would seek to rise up against him. And so he said, let him know this. I scored 24. He scored 23, or 13, 13. And tomorrow night, I will score 37 in the first half. So the next night came, and the Bulls were coming into Washington to play against them, and Michael went on to score 37 points exactly in the first half, went on to score something like 50-something points in total. And after the game, he reminded the rookie that he was challenging a superior. That idea of stepping up to challenge, you know, like we're all like, hey, like, you know, I could be Rocky, you could be Creed, like somehow we can reach up there and get it done, right? Like, especially in Philly, we're like proud of that, right? Like that's like, that's like the, the Philly um, motto, right? Like that, that, the whole Rocky series is built on that, right? Like the underdog mentality for your Eagle fans and, and, uh, and, 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 and your prior to Eagle fans, your your Allen Iverson fans, right? And so, like, this idea of, like, being younger and, be, and being smaller or being lesser than and being able to challenge the greater. Well, I want to come back to the text. I, that was all just to let you know that this was a bad idea for this young man. This young man is going to challenge Jesus, and he's going to kind of do, like, a, a battle of the wits. And he's, like, uh, he's, a stud, he's a student of the law. So here's what it says. I'm back in 1025. I'll start again. It says, on one occasion, there was an expert in the law who stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said... What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, this is, the, this is the student, said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And 
Love your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too there was a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But there was a Samaritan as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he asked, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus said, go and do likewise. Father, as we take a look at your word, I pray, Lord God, that you would speak directly to our hearts, Father. Prepare us for encounters with you that leave our lives forever changed. God, allow us to, to understand more fully and plainly these words in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have something to write with or if you have your phone you can send yourself a memo or text your spouse so that they can text you back whatever however that's going to go i want to give you two questions that i really do want you to answer before we go further in the sermon tonight today the first is this when it when i ask the question i want you to i want you to note down what really comes to your mind not after you think about it for a while what really comes to your mind the first question is this who is your neighbor who is your neighbor now, I'm asking you to write this down because this is a question I'm going to ask you to live with for the next four weeks. And, you know, a lot's going to happen this week. So you might forget or you might want to change your answer or something like that. But when you were asked this question today, what was it you thought of? Who is your neighbor? You should be writing down someone's name. Or maybe you're thinking, like, regionally, you're going to write an area. Maybe you're thinking, like, uh, people group. You know, but whatever it is you thought of when I said, who is your neighbor, please write that down so you'll remember it in the weeks ahead. The second one is this. How are you currently showing love to that neighbor? How are you currently showing love to that neighbor? So here's the two things you're writing down. You're writing somebody's name or a description of somebody, and you're writing how you're currently expressing love to that person, right? So you should have two things written down you're going to hang on. If it's going to take you some more time to think of the second one, that's okay. You can keep going while I'm preaching because we got it online. You can go back and catch up later. But go ahead and make sure you get those two things down. Now I want to go back to the text. So we started off by talking about the fact that, that this expert of the law was going to challenge Jesus. He came with an agenda. He was going to, he was going to try to test Jesus to see how witty or how, 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 um, how knowledgeable Jesus was, especially as it came to the Old Testament law. And so Jesus turns around and asks him back the questions, and the young man works his way through his answers. But if you were to study his answer, and this is what we're going to do, we're going to look at the first portion of his answer. In order to really understand it, you have to understand some of the, uh, so, some of the Old Testament law 
that gives the, the foundation for which he was responding to. So let's, let's learn some words together. Uh, I'll say it, you repeat it. Shema. Shema. That was pretty good. Some of you waited to see what other people said. All right, you got it now, so we'll try it again together. Shema. Shema. That's good. Shema. Shema. So if you, don't, if you don't get anything else this morning, get this. The word Shema um, refers back to the Old Testament law. And in the Old Testament law, it was the, the words that were written that were meant to be recited in a daily pattern by, by students of the law, right? So by, 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 by Jewish kids and families. And they would repeat these words in this way. It would happen in their morning prayer. It would happen in their evening prayer. So they would bookend their, bookend their days with the words of the Shema. There were some other special times when it happened, but the most significant time when you would hear the Shema is when somebody was preparing to die. Just before they were to pass, they would have their hands placed over their eyes and they would re recite by memory the Shema. And this prayer that we find in Deuteronomy chapter 6, this prayer that we find was meant to be a descriptor of how we understand God's love for us and how we reflect God's love for others. Let me, before we look at it, let me help you understand this. The Old Testament, specifically, as we read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those first five books were written almost exclusively about the people of Israel. The people of Israel were the children of God. They were the ones who were intended to have the purpose of putting on display the, God, the love that God has for us and our response of that love to the world. Let me say that again. The people of God, the children of Israel, had a job. They had an appointment. They had a purpose. And their role was to let the whole world know how loving God was, how powerful God was, and the fact that God had chosen them, but not chosen them so that it would be exclusive to them, chosen them so that they would be able to display who God is to the entire world. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you'll know that the Old Testament story follows the people of Israel, and, and sometimes they get it right, and a whole lot of times they don't. And when they don't get it right, we see the power of God through the act of discipline we see God removing his favor, and then we see God, the, 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 the people of God being overcome by the world, and then God returning his favor, and the people of God again overcoming the world. We see this pattern of back and forth and back and forth. And we think to ourselves as New Testament Christians, we think, wow, how can it be? But if we pause right there, I mean, isn't this our story? You were saved with a purpose. When I say the word saved, I mean that, that God chose you and you understood that God loved you. And there was a purpose behind that. And it was for something greater than just you being able to show up on Sunday morning. The reality is you and I were called to a, uh, excuse me, you and I were, you and I were called and were, and were commissioned to a, to a purpose. And that purpose was to go into the world, to the ends of the world, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, right? You and I have a job to do, and that job is to let everybody know what? The good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel, that God loves us, 
that God made a way possible for us, that we have freedom in Jesus, right? And our role in, 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 in sharing that story with the world is no different than Israel's responsibility in the Old Testament. So when we look back in the Old Testament and we see this ebb and flow of up and down, let me invite you and I into that same story. I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in the fourth verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them. At, I, I don't know why I did the right sign. I should have done the tying sign. Tie them as, as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Here it is. Here it is. The, 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 uh, the people of Israel are given a charge, and the charge is to remember. To do what? Come on. They're charged to remember that God loves them. And then they're charged to respond to that love. And the way that they respond to that love is that every time they're reminded of the goodness of God, of the love of God, they shema. They recite this prayer that, 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 that declares God's love for them and their response to God. They do this in a couple of different ways. He says, number one, he says, uh, impress them. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, impress them on your children. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine instructing a child in such a way that something you taught them when they were itty-bitty had influence in them when they got bigger? This happens. This happens. Let me, let me take you on a quick walk, a little journey. <clears throat> For everybody who's had children or, uh, or everybody who's been around children, you, you'll, you'll be able to resonate with this story. You know, when, when kids are itty-bitty, when they're starting to toddle around, they, they give away love freely, don't they? Right? Like, when they're itty-bitty, what do they do? Like, if you're bigger than them, they run to you, they hang on you. Where's my guy Chandler at? Chandler, Chandler and I were talking about this. Like, when you're a big dude, when you're just a big dude, little kids just hang on you. It's just like you're like a magnet for little kids. It's just like you become like a jungle gym, right? And so, but, but when you're little, little, like little kids, they give away love freely, right? You know, like, you walking them to school on their first day of school, and they're like, don't leave me, you know, and they're like clinging to you, right? That's when they're little. That's when they're little. Now, fast forward a little bit. Let's get from, like, you know, toddle size to, you know, like, belly button height, right? Belly button height. And, you know, like, they're still, you're still cool. You're still mom. You're still dad. You're still aunt. You're still uncle. So I'll give you a hug, you know, maybe less kisses, maybe more high fives, all right? You know, but, but it's, still, it's still there, right? Yeah? Kind of? All right, fast forward a little bit more. Here you go. Let's go on a drive together. Let's, let's, let's show everybody we can participate together. If you're at home, I want you to do this with one hand while typing with your other, okay? And so here it is. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to show me your dominant hand. Put your dominant hand up in the air, your dominant hand, whichever one it is. And now I want you to go ahead and reach out and grab the steering wheel. Come on, I want you to drive the car. Come on, show me your driving motion. That's good. That's good. I am glad I'm not behind some of you. You're swerving all over the place. 
But that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Christina's steady in the back. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. All right. So look, you got your driving mode on. Everybody's driving along, right? You're driving your teenager to school. All right. You can argue with them about the radio if you want. All those kind of things. You know, you're you're thinking to yourself, I hope it's over quickly. They're thinking to themselves, I wish it was over faster. Right. But you're still on your way to school. All right, we're pulling up to school now. Come on, stop. Some of y'all stop driving. That's car accidents. Come on. Come on, keep driving. Get your hand out there. Come on. Come on, this is a participatory award. Here, come on, get your hand out there. All right, so here it is. Mom, you still driving? Come on, get that hand out there. Oh, you got one of low riders. I got you. All right, so there you go. So everybody got their hand out there to drive along. Here's, here's how this is going. All right, we're pulling up to school. Now, you can imagine them to be a junior or a senior in high school. We're pulling up to school. All of their friends are outside the door ready to greet them. You pull up, you stop right in front of their friends, you're ready for the kid to get out, put it in, put it in park. All right, yeah, yeah, we're not drifting anywhere, we put it in park. Now you're going to turn to your right, because your kid's in the passenger seat, you're going to turn to your right to say goodbye to your son or daughter. It doesn't happen the way it did when they were in kindergarten, does it? Right? They're not leaning in for the big hug and kiss the way they were. You know, they're not grabbing a hold of you saying, I'll never let you go, Mom. I'll never let you go, Dad. They're like, yo, deuces. I'm out. And you're like, hey, I love you. And you're yelling it out the door. And they're like, shh. I got an image. My friends are here. Something, something has shifted in that moment, right? Something has changed. But here's the good news. What you instill in them when they're in this size will always be in them. But like a teenager, there may come times where we're not as quick to show that. We're not as quick to be bold about that or to proclaim that as clearly and loudly. This is what Israel was instructed. Teach them when they're young. Find all kind of ways to remind them. Remind them every day so that we can stay away, we can, we can stay off the temptation to drift away, right? Don't you and I need that same reminder? Don't we need a daily reminder in our life of, God, of how good God is, of the love that God has for us, so that when the battles of life come our way, we're able to lean into what we know to be true and stay off the temptation to run away from God? Right? When you and I find ourselves on an uphill climb, we need to be reminded from the earliest of ages, we were made for this. We were designed to trek in this way. We've been taught all that we need to know. We have every resource that we need in order. I'm sorry, this is catching on. To have every resource we need in order to tackle what's ahead of us. But if we forget for a moment, what do we do? We run, we hide, we hide, we revert to being a teenager and being like, later, right? We just jump out of the car and go. We miss the opportunity to express the love that we know and the love that we've experienced. If you got your Bible still open, flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 11, just a couple of pages away, Deuteronomy chapter 11. And join me in verse 18. Join me in verse 18. David, can you hear that one on that? Join me in verse 18. Deuteronomy 11:18 says this. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home and when you go for a walk. 
along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land of the Lord that the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Here was more instruction. Again, remind your children, teach your children, tie these to your hands, bind them on your foreheads, uh, talk about them at night when you're laying down, talk about them when you go for a, a walk on the road, and even when you lie down to go to sleep. Why? Because we need this continual reminder of, love, of God's love for us and of our charge to display that love back. One more place. Go over to the book of Numbers. Numbers. The book of Numbers, chapter 15. One more time, we see a very similar instruction that I want to look at together. Numbers, chapter 15. I'll wait for an amen or two. All right, Numbers 15, starting in the 37th verse. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You, you will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord, that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. I remember about, uh, about 20 years ago, I, I was bowling with this young man or older man who was on my team, and, and, uh, and he was Jewish in his descent, and he had tassels on his shirt, and I didn't understand it, and I always was like, dude, those things are getting in the way when you're bowling. Like, why do you have them? And he sat me down one day, and he said, hey, like, let's take a look at this, and he brought me back here to this passage, and, and he showed me, and he said, look, every time my hand rubs against that tassel. You think it's getting in the way while I'm bowling, and I'm reminded of how much God loves me. And I was like, oh, tie me some tassels. Give me some tassels. But that idea of this simple reminder that regularly promotes within us that, that, that knowledge of God is for me. God loves me. God's done this. And it charges us each time to respond to the love of God. Respond to the love of God. I think that we see that throughout all the texts we looked at this morning, and especially back in the, in the book of Luke in the 10th chapter where we started at this morning. So I want to take us back there one more time. 10th chapter of Luke, and we see uh, the expert of the law who is challenging Jesus. And he says, Jesus, he asked Jesus this one question. He says, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. If you're going to take notes, I'm going to give you three things that I think will help you for the rest of this day and the rest of the week ahead of us. So here it is. The first question that he says, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You don't have to raise your hand for this, but how many of us have asked a similar kind of question? Don't raise your hand. You can just intern. You don't have to, you don't have to raise your hand. You can internally think about this. That, that, that question isn't always about a forever life, but we've asked it in other kind of ways too. Hey, Jesus, what's my purpose? What am I here for? You know, when you, maybe when you were pursuing life and career, you said, what am I good at? What was I made for? What am I designed uniquely to be able to do? All of these questions revolve around this idea of meaning. What's my meaning? What is this life about? 
And, and, and literally, there are people who go to their grave wrestling with this question because they never find the insight for which they, they are looking for when they ask the question, why am I here? Why am I here? So this man who is an expert in the law comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I hear you're a wise teacher. You know about a lot of things. Just tell me something. How do I get from here to forever? How do I get from here to forever? What am I here for? What's my purpose? How do I know that when this life is over, there's something greater ahead of me? And you can imagine, he knows the, he knows the book answer. He has the knowledge. So this is not a knowledge question. He's asking the question the way you and I would, would compa- I mean, with, with, with passion that is burning within, like, I need to know. I just need to, I need to know for certain. Help me. And he's crying out with this question, maybe the way you and I would. Well, the most popular response to this question is found in the Gospel of John in the third chapter. So if you've got your Bible, flip there real quick. The Gospel of John, third chapter. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John comes right next. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. I'm going to start reading it. It's going to sound familiar to some of you. So here we go. John chapter 3 in verse 16. This is what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There you go. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but with the purpose to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Jesus, what's my purpose? What am I made for? How am I to know that there's something ahead? The truth of the matter is, Jesus is the answer to that question. While he's the one we're going to and saying, answer the question, he's literally like, mirror, mirror, it's me. I am the answer to the question. I came that you could have life and that life would be full. I did not come that you would die. You're already on the road to death. I came that you could be excused from the road to death and engage on the narrow path to eternity. I came that you might have the way. I came that you might understand your purpose. I came that you might know who you are. I came that you might know who you belong to. I came so that you could indeed be with me forever. That's Jesus' declaration in response to the questions that you and I, still to this day, we wrestle with. If you catch me on a day when I'm low, I'm not questioning, am I going to be with God in eternity? I'm secure in that. I know if I were to today, right now, I'm good. But if you caught me on a day when I was low, I'd question, what's my purpose? What's my meaning? Am I, am I fulfilling what I'm meant to do? I know God's done his part. Just, God, is, is my path clear? Am I walking in the right way? So this man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The answer, trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. All right? So question one for you is, are you on your way to eternal life? Have you honestly 
trusted Jesus. Not have you shown up to church? Not are you cleaner than you used to be? Not do you know more words than you once did? Not can you repeat something that the preacher said? But are you honestly, have you honestly trusted Jesus? Is Jesus the all of your life? Second, the second thing that Jesus, when Jesus says to him, well, how do you understand it? And he begins to, to rattle off. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. He rattles off these four things. He says, this is how I'm meant to do it. I told you that's the story of the great Shema, right? But here it is. Essentially what Jesus, is, what Jesus says when he says you got it right, he says the whole person, everything about you is meant to be reflective of the love of God. Let me say it to you this way. God, I love you. I love you with my, no, God, I, no, no, I, I love you with my, I'll love you with my profession. God, I love you. I'll, I'll love you with my marriage. God, I love you. I love you with my kids. But let's not talk about my personal hobbies. I'm not loving you there. You know, God, God I'll, love you with, I'll love you with my friend circle. God, I'll, I'll love you with my, my free time. But let's not talk about my finances. I work really hard for those. God, I love you. Fill in the blank in a way that makes more sense to you, right? God is calling us to love him with our whole self, everything about us. I told you all this story, but I'll tell it again because I think it makes a lot of sense. I once was on, a way, on my way to speak at a retreat, and on my way to speak at this retreat, I had like a, a major craving, and all I wanted was a round, juicy orange. That's all I wanted. Anybody ever crave an orange before? No? Am I the only one? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jason. We're together. We've, oh, yes. All right. All right. I got a couple orange lovers in the room. And so I just want, and I, I, wanted the, I wanted a really good, you know what I'm talking about? Like, you can smell it through the outside of the skin of the orange kind of orange. Like, I wanted one of those. And so it just so happened, on my way to the retreat, there was a grocery store, a gift from God. Amen. And so I just detour over to the grocery store, and I walk in, and I go to the produce aisle, of course, because I wanted an orange. And there it was, the crate where the oranges are meant to be. And there was a sign, and the sign said, sold out. But I, I've worked in retail before. I know that those signs really mean I don't feel like getting the stock out of the back. And so I went to find someone who worked there. And I said, excuse me, sir, I'd like an orange. He said, oh, I'm sorry, we're all sold out. I said, no, 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 I know there's none out here. Could you go in the back and get me an orange? And I was still pretty polite at this time. And he said, I'm sorry, sir, we're all sold out. And he kind of scurried on his way. So I went to find someone else. I was looking for a higher ranking individual. I found the manager. I said, excuse me, Mr. Manager. I'm looking for an orange. Oh, he said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we're all sold out. No, no, I know. There's none in the front. Could you go in the back and get me an orange? He said, oh, walk with me, sir. And he walks me from where we were at the door to the back stock room all the way up to the front, 
and I realize what he's going to do. He's going to reach under the counter, and he's going to get me out the crate of oranges that are there. And so he walks me all the way back up to where the orange. What's up, young guys? He walks me all the way, all the way back up to where the oranges were, and he walks and he points to the sign. He says, sir, you know what this sign says? It says, sold out. And then he looks at me and he says, that means we don't have any. I walked away. I got back in my car. And I said, I need to remember this story. It's going to preach someday. And I realized that being sold out literally meant that there's nothing held back. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about what it means to be sold out, to be entirely all in? The second thing I want you to take note with you today is loving the Lord your God means that your entire being is required to express the love of God. I hold nothing back, heart, soul, strength, mind, whatever I have, it's yours. And then lastly this morning, if you really want to make sense of this passage, we have to be willing to examine how we're responding. In Jesus' response to the young man after he quotes the Shema, and Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. Experiencing God's love commissions us to go. Point three, experiencing God's love commissions us to go. Let me say that to you again. If you have experienced the love of God, you are commissioned, you are charged, you are even commanded to go, to go, to not stay, to not keep that to yourselves, but to obediently respond by going forward. The whole message that Jesus had would come and see, come and see, come and see, and then go. And then go and then go. Go from here to there. Go from there to there. And keep going to the ends of the earth. Can we understand this? If the earliest apostles did not do this, we're not gathered together today. Let me say that so it's real clear. If the early church did not understand that they were commissioned to go, then we are not gathered together as a Christian church today. We are gathered together because we were, because the early church from the earliest days were commissioned and charged to go and to make disciples. So this week, I got to ask you, as we enter into this four-week series, are you ready to be commissioned to go? We, I want to cut to the chase here. In week four, you're going to be charged to take everything we've learned over the last couple of weeks and put it into action to go forward to the ends of the earth, or at least to the ends of your circles, with the good news of the gospel. You're ready to say yes to that. I know you are because, one, because you know if you say yes, we're going to wrap up sooner. And two, because you, you're thinking, man, like, I know God loves me, and I know I have some response to that. And so, I'm, uh, yeah, I want to be ready to go. Here's the steps I'm going to ask you to take this week. Go ahead and write these down. Number one, this week, will you ask Jesus about your purpose? Say, Jesus, what's uniquely, what's unique about me? What are you purposing me to do? How are you setting me up to display the gospel? And then after you've asked that question, here's some ways that I think might help you 
to find that answer. Right, Tommy? That's right. Number one, this week maybe go for a walk. Not with anyone else, just you and Jesus. Go for a walk and listen. Start the walk when you're ready to leave wherever you're going, wherever you're leaving from. You're leaving from your house, leaving from your job, leaving from, uh, you know, if your walk is just from the grocery store to the car. Start the walk by saying, Jesus, what have you uniquely made me for? And then spend your walk listening. For some, that may be a new habit. But as you step into that new habit, have that, silent, that quiet alone time with God and see what God fills your mind with. Second, maybe this is a good chance for you to journal this week. If you're artistic in nature or if you're somebody who likes to write, take the time to journal so you might reflect on God's love for you. How has God displayed his love in your life? How have you come to know indeed that God loves you? Journal about ways that you've tried to respond to the love of God. And the third is the most challenging one. Would you reevaluate? You see, if you know that God loves you and you actually desire in your inner being to respond to the love of God, what's hindering you? What's holding you back? What's standing in the way? Maybe there's habits in your life that are, that are honestly tainting your witness. You're saying, God, help me to break these habits that my witness might be more clear. Maybe, you've been, maybe God's been tugging on your heart for a while to be declaring the good news of who he is with your coworkers and with your friends, and, and you haven't been willing to do it because maybe you're nervous or, or, or maybe you think that, that, that it won't be acceptable in your workplace. God, give me the courage and the boldness or give me a new workplace. Either way, God, but help it make possible for me to be able to say this. Maybe, you're, maybe what's in the way is choices that you've made, relationships that you're in. Things that are just kind of pointing, pointing you away from God. Many of you know that Michelle and I, for a long time, have been uh, active, actively bowling, before COVID, actively bowling together in leagues. And part of our desire in bowling was just that we would be able to be a witness everywhere we were. And we found ourselves in, in some, some great circles with some amazing people who taught us so much about who God is and helped us to grow and to, to understand more of the fullness of God's character. But we've also had great opportunity just to be able to say, hey, like, I'm a child of God. I'd love for you to come and learn about what that means and inviting people into the life of the church with us. Maybe that's something that God is asking you to do. Maybe there's some way that God is asking you to reevaluate the steps you have set up in your life. But as we go forward from here this week, next week we're going to gather together and uh, we're going to jump back into the same story and we're going to pick it up with answering the question, who is my neighbor? And then in week three, we're going to talk about when is the right time. And we'll wrap it up at the end of the month in week four saying, where is the evidence? Where is the evidence? So if you kind of feel like you're being left on a cliffhanger, that's intentional. We got four weeks of this. I'm not, we're not going to wrap it all up until the very, very end. But there's still some steps you can take this week. I hope you heard them. I hope you noted them. And I hope you feel charged and challenged by God to take one of those steps this week. We're going to experience the love of God put on display for us by the, through the reminder that we have when we take communion together. And this time that we're about to step into is a time that is reserved not for our church. Let me make this real clear. You do not need to be a part of Roxborough Church in order to experience communion with us. But it is a time that's, that is reserved 
for those who have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're here today and you don't yet know who Jesus is, jumping into the act of communion would not be of any benefit to you. It would just be grape juice and bread, or in this case, a little dried out cracker wafer. But what it means to us who have a relationship with Jesus is so much more than the food we're going to eat. It's a reminder for us of the love that God has for us. It's a declaration of the work that God has done and our acceptance of that work on our behalf. And it's a charge. It's a charge and challenge for us to go and do likewise, to yield our lives to Jesus and to be used and fruitful for the kingdom in every way possible. God, I hold nothing back. Everything about me is yours. I receive what you've done, and I respond. And so all of those things are summed up in this moment, this sacred moment of communion we have together. If you have your communion cups, we're going to ask you to go ahead and get them ready now. If you're at home, get your, get your stuff ready. And if, you don't, if you're with us and you don't have one, just raise your hand. We've got a couple people in the room, Pastor Charlie, who need communion, and so he's coming around with them right now. Keep your hand up high if you still need a communion cup. There you go. Father God, I pray that you would meet us in this time of communion in a way that is sacred, that is whole, and that is good for our souls. God, remind us of your love for us and your charge to us to be people who would go, who would declare the gospel to the ends of the earth. On the night before Jesus died, the night before he was arrested, before he went to the cross, he had... Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.